From OFS, I'm Doug Shapiro. This is the Imagine a Place podcast, where we explore the power of place and the role of design in our lives. What's that word? You know, when you're soaring in one direction and then something slings you back the other way? Oh yeah, whiplash. Something you might have experienced over the last year or so. It's been one full year since I spoke with Angie Lee in our first Imagine a Place episode. And I wanted to reconnect with her for the same reason that we did the very first time. She, more than anyone I know, has a passion for the responsibility of a designer in this world. And Angie has a way of not only helping us understand our world today, but helping us understand how we understand. You know, people always like to, you know, feel good about stuff and be positive. And there is actually positivity in that, you know, because we are still here. I mean, those of us who are lucky enough to be here and we've learned so much. Um, so there is something about being a Libra because you, I, I am a Libra. I, I see this both sides of issues so extremely. <laughs> and sometimes like I get whiplash because I'm a, a rabid optimist and then you know kind of like a very deep skeptic and so i see both sides of things um you know in a radical way but that there's something to be said about you know especially now understanding everybody's full stories because it's not it's not um simple it's so multifaceted and complicated and doesn't make sense whiplash is such a strong word and it's like it's such a physical experience whiplash is right but like it really captures what people are going through well because i think i represent a lot of people where we have so much conviction about a certain thing and then something happens and then you're like oh my god i was completely wrong about something and instead of doubling down to be able to admit and grow and be vulnerable is, you know, you know, it's really important. So that's what I think a lot of people have been doing this past year. Uh, totally. I think myself included in that, where there were words that I thought I understood the definition of those words, you know, and I realized maybe I really don't understand them as well as I should. And, and I had those epiphanies in my personal life. I think a lot of people are, are, are understanding things differently now. Um, you know, just the word belonging to me, like, okay, I understand that completely differently. And then I don't, I don't know if we're starting to spotlight things that have kind of always gone on and always been there, or if there's just even more heightened tension. Now we've kind of brought to light, I don't know, some of the negative things. I don't want to get too negative here, but I mean, let's be honest. There's been some things where, where, you, where you look and you think, man, is that, really, is that really who we are? Yeah. Well, I think people are, uh, and, I, and rightly so, afraid to be negative, like too negative. But at the same time, it makes us like pathologically positive. And then nothing gets done because if you can't identify, you know, the problems or the issues, then 
what happens? Pretty much nothing. We just tell ourselves what we need to survive, to feel you know, like we're um, doing the right thing, which is really important. It's this, this whiplash that I, you know, and it's not just from this past year, but that's just, just my nature to be so firmly on one side of an issue and then have something happen where it's like, oh no, I have to rethink and unlearn and relearn and, and grow that way. And I always thought that, um, you know, I was doing something wrong because I was like, this sucks. <laughs> There's gotta be a better way. <laughs> So wait, be specific. Like, is there like, is there, were there, were there multiple times that happened? And then can you even, you know, pinpoint those moments and and what they were about? Yeah, um, I can. I don't, you haven't started recording, have you? (laughs) I'm recording, but everything, everything goes out. You, you will, you will get to review everything and and (laughs) we'll get to edit and do all that stuff. Um, okay, this is actually, I am talking about this more openly. So let me start with this one. Being a a poster child for the model minority myth is something that I I fully understand now. And, you know, Doug, I'm, I'm 51. I grew up in Kansas, as you know, I immigrated when I was two. I knew that there was this like, positive, um, you know, quote unquote bias about Asians in America being hardworking and um, straight A students and and et cetera. And I just, I was always kind of um, rejecting that stereotype. And I would, even though I did play um, violin and piano and get straight A's, I'm terrible at math. And I used to joke about that. I used to joke about having a tiger mom um, and accepting a lot of those, you know, really not wonderful um, experiences and turning them into something that was um, comfortable for people to uh, accept so that I could fit in. So I think the idea of assimilation and belonging, as you say, and uh, cultural erasure is, is, is one that I'm looking back on w- with my own experience uh, as being kind of sadder than I had admitted to before. Because this country is something that, you know, my parents love being in this country. It's given so much to us and we've endured um, a lot, and so the cost has been high. But in their minds, you know, they're they're survivors of the Korean War, and relatively, this is pretty good. And they've given my sister and I a great life. But what we've had to do to this is weird. This is I get sweaty when I say stuff like this. <laughs> like I'm uncomfortable. Um, but. Um, um, to be, uh, I guess, white adjacent. Because I think now that we're understanding that um, as a person of color, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people who don't recognize that if you're Asian or Asian American, because they say you're basically white. And I've known this my whole life. My best friends growing up said, don't worry, you're basically white. 
and I was like that is such a weird thing to say because uh you know as the only uh, Asian kid in the school you know there is everyday racism and some of it was is was subtle and um, some of it was very overt but I wasn't I, I did not benefit I did not enjoy the privileges of being um, white but I have been recognizing that I'm, I became a really good storyteller uh, because I was I was studying everybody's experiences and kind of dismissing or minimizing my own but it made me practice you know those empathy muscles and really understanding other people's points of view because I imagined being everybody else but me and that was a way that I learned how to reference the same jokes and anecdotes and music and movies which of course in the 70s um, had zero representation for somebody who looked like me so there's you know when I talk about in the um in that beautiful video that design box did where they featured me and my apartment with my family and I talked about identity and growing up in Kansas you know I really turned it into a glossy little nugget where you know I did find moments of beauty I did find that there was you know a very early development for um, for this eagerness to seek that beauty, that moment of connection and humanity, which was around me. And I found that that was so profound that it, it, it almost erased all of the, the, um, the other stuff that I, I wish I mm. didn't have to experience, but so many people in this country do. And when I share this, when I find a way to share this with people. Um, I'm always grateful that it, it resonates with somebody. And, you know, I am, you know, my parents are the same, are the, the same with this, um, this kind of toxic positivity. They, they never want to admit that they're going through something that's not wonderful. And they always kind of taught that to my sister and I. But the more that we do that, I think it, it helps people to become themselves and creates space for a wider typology of people, you know? And I think as a designer, I really do believe that there are so many tools at our disposal to transform people's lives. And this idea of, of good design being like a love story is something mm -hmm. that I think I might've talk to you about maybe not <laughs> it's from a book called mismatch by cat holmes and i feel like i talk about this like all the time but um no, no i mean not not on this podcast no <laughs> um you should it's a very short read she talks about how um inclusive design is so incredibly hard the reason is because we we all know what it feels like to be excluded but to be inclusive is something that we don't practice very often. And um, the most revolutionary designs or inventions or innovations are because somebody took a look at not the majority of the population to design for the masses and do like a quote unquote universal design, uh, which you and I have talked about. Like, I don't know that there's such a thing, 
if there's like the the modern day keyboard, I had used that for um, the the family reunion presentation in Savannah last year with you all. <laughs> and the the modern day keyboard is born from this Italian uh, inventor who was uh, trying to help his his love interest, uh, um, Countess Carolina or something like that, and she was losing her sight. And so they created this, this doodad, this mechanism that pressed, you know, keys into carbon paper so that she could continue writing to him uh, in private. And it was this weird looking ball of letters and you, you press the thing down into the, the paper that kind of wraps the receiving substrate underneath. And that's what the modern day keyboard uh, evolved from. But it was just, it was just a single problem for somebody that, you know, was in need, you know, then from that, so many things came out of it that applied for everybody, that was useful for everybody. Any, and then in the book kind of points, you know, the curb cut, the sippy straw, oh no, the touch screen. So these are all love stories for, you know, family members or somebody that they really care about, but like a single full understanding of, you know, somebody's complete experience and existence um, can generate so much um, inclusivity, even though, um, you know, it was really meant for just the one person. Wow. I mean, I, I, um, I love that love story. And I, I've got several things I want to revisit, actually, that, that you had kind of went through. You'd mentioned how you imagined yourself as other people. Mm -hmm. and and then you you even kind of brought up hey i'm 51 years old now are you are you for the first time kind of like re-entering yourself i mean are you like it, it kind of sounded like this wasn't like oh i've i've gone through this for the last 10 years and i understand it you almost it was almost as if like for the first time you were you were willing to kind of really dive into your past and your childhood and your own mindset and all of that a hundred percent. And and I'm not, I mean, I'm kind of hermetically sealed here with my family, but my husband, who's also Korean American, we have very similar experiences growing up. Um, neither of us speak Korean. Uh, we both have anglicized first names. Um, this whole thing has been, you know, a, a gift on top of like, you know, the, the price we paid is not worth it, but this is what we're taking away. <laughs> That we have learned so much we have really started to listen and we stopped dismissing our own stories which is what we've done to succeed in a world that's that wasn't designed for us um as much as we're proud of succeeding as much as we have um we're trying to put actions to the words that we expressed in terms of you know a greater desire to to do better um, and do less, do no harm, uh, including to ourselves, to the planet, um, to people that we represent. So I think there's, um, there's a lot, there's a lot of <laughs> self-analysis that's been happening in, in a way that wouldn't have happened if we were constantly commuting and dropping the kids off to go to band and all that other stuff, which really right. occupied most of our 
<laughs> you know, you you kind of passed over an expression pretty quickly that I I want to get back into because I think it's a new expression that many people are understanding for the first time. You said toxic positivity, right? And 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 then you moved on from that. I want to revisit that because I want to define it. What is, what is toxic positivity? Yeah, people always look confused when I say that, but um, there's there are people uh, who talk about it more intelligently than I do. But I love the topic because it's something that has plagued me and many people. Remember when we talked last year about humanizing ourselves by turning on the Zoom camera at home? And you see that you have crying kids, you have laundry in the background, but now we're forgiving that aspect of people. So we don't have to put on this, this perfect manicured facade. And with toxic positivity, that also extends to what is essentially spiritual bypassing. So if you get, right, if you get hurt um, physically or emotionally, and you just brush it off and say, it's okay, I'm fine. Um, and it could be like microaggressions to falling down, um, in front of a group of people and you look like an idiot and you get up and you're like, ah, I'm fine. It didn't happen. <laughs> you know, so those are kind of like more, uh, sort of lighthearted examples of spiritual bypassing where, you know, after you fall down and get up, you could be like, really, maybe you slipped the disc or you sprained an ankle or you really hurt yourself, but you're not going to show that um toxic positivity i think is something that we all practice and i even heard in a couple of uh your podcasts um you all saying that oh we don't want to get too negative right because i think there's a fear of turning people off and this happened with you know uh, the news in the past four years where climate scientists had to ask permission to mention the word the words, you know, climate crisis or climate change, because they didn't want that negativity. So that's also mm. an example of toxic positivity. So it's, it's basically ignoring the problem and just focusing on the good stuff. And it's almost like this addiction to happiness that we all kind of have. And it's, it's, you know, look, I'm, I'm guilty of that too. I, you know, I, I like to be comfortable. I like my comfort zone. Um, I go out of it more often than other people, I suppose, but I still, you know, I still crave that everybody needs to have that sense of security, right? Right, right. I am certainly guilty of toxic positivity. I, I know that, you know, uh, but now being aware that that exists, it's like, okay, maybe I can snap myself out of it. <laughs> When I know I'm in a moment where it's like, well, maybe this isn't so good, you know. Um, hmm. You know, when you were talking about the the love story and the typewriter, and um, imagine being so creative and inventive that the the words coming from that other person are so valuable that it drives you to invent something so amazing. And I'm just like, I'm kind of like. I had goosebumps just kind of hearing that. Like I, I just gave myself goosebumps in that mo in this moment. And I'm like, I'm like, you know, words, words are, are not what they used to be. Right. You know, are words that valuable anymore? Or are they just 
everywhere and we take them for granted. We do take them for granted, but the history and the memory of why they're there still haunt the, the usage of the word. Yeah, I can't, I can't, well, first of all, I can't recommend highly enough that book, Mismatch. You should put it in your notes for people to look up. I, it kind of changed my life. But um, in terms of words, I just read something about how words are, are they're rooted in like gendered attitudes, you know, like literally you call cars, hurricanes, <laughs> countries, you know, female names. And in other languages outside of English, there's also, you know, literally um, words are gendered, either like a table is female, et cetera, and something else is male. And even numbers have genders. <laughs> so if you want to just lift it to this like level of um, language and what we're absorbing without realizing is a whole set of uh, systematic values or cultural um, attitudes that we thought we don't have any relation to, but it's basically just baked into the system. You can't avoid it, right? Wow. I mean, that that is, that's true. And that's heavy. <laughs> Man. It's heavy, but it's fun. Now I'm like, oh, what else? Because once you see something, at least for me, you can't unsee it. <laughs> <laughs> And somebody said something which I love. It's, you know, it's like asking a fish to describe water. And it's like, of course, you're not going to see it. It's every day. It's every breath. It's every word that you take in and you put out. So, you know, it's not a <laughs> not heavy in that sense. Like we're not, you know what I mean? Like we're not uh, intentionally trying to proliferate ideas that don't serve us. It's just it's really fun, honestly, to start identifying stuff to see then how can you redesign your speech patterns? How can you rewire the way that your brain is thinking about assumptions and presumptions that are automatically thought to be, you know, sacred or just, you know, this is good for everybody. You know, I, I had a conversation with a historian recently and he brought the same sort of conclusion into history, basically saying, and, and you know, language is history, so the two are intertwined. But he was like, you, you, you can choose to make your own decisions, but you're part of a continuum, and you, you, you don't have the choice to operate outside of that. You, you're in it, whether you want to be or not. It's always around you. And it was, it was just really interesting to kind of think that, you know, like as much as we love to, you know, carve our own world around us, it's like, there's only so much that you can carve. There's a whole lot going on uh, or that went on that has really put into play and and will end up informing the decisions you make and the feelings you have and all, all of that. It's crazy. It is crazy. I, I just, um, it also is kind of, reassuring to know that you're connected to so much because I think too often we just feel like we're alone and isolated and the only one who ever experienced a thing and mm. to know that there's that's just not true it's for me at least it's very comforting even if it's not like an awesome experience to know that other people are going through 
stuff, you know, bad stuff as well as the good stuff. I mean, it's profound. I mean, I, I it really helps me get through, you know, some some bad days. It's almost like if you, I mean, this is going to sound really silly, but like if you met somebody who was exactly you, I mean, they grew up in the same, you know, the, the exact same replica of a town, you know, played the piano, did the violin, got straight A's, became an interior designer, moved to New York, all of this, right? If you met that person, would you be really interested in them? Like, would you be asking them a bunch of questions or, or would they bore you? Because it's already you. You know what I mean? It's like, I wonder how I would be if I met me, you know? <laughs> well, I know. I mean, I have an answer for that. I mean, look, at if you ever meet my husband, you'll know that I don't think I would do well with my doppelganger. I would be like <laughs> bored to tears. And, you know, I'm introverted. He's like hyper extroverted. And my son also... It's funny because he, you know, he started high school, um, you know, when nobody was going to school. So he hasn't really met any of his classmates yet without a mask. And he's gone, he's gotten into an art school. He's in high school. And during the tour, he was like, oh my God, this is like somebody crawled into my head and made my dreams come true. Like all these like weirdo kids that are super creative. They love comic books and superheroes but now he's discovering that everybody's an introvert like him <laughs> and he's like this is kind of awful like i need an extrovert to come and draw me out because like i'm not going to make the first move so it's even harder <laughs> in that whole culture to make friends because everybody's got their cameras off they're really shy they're really quiet and i was like yeah you really do need diversity in so many different ways hmm that's interesting that's interesting so so a, a dinner table full of angie leaves would be would be pretty quiet is what you're saying it would be very quiet i mean eventually maybe after like a bottle of wine <laughs> maybe <laughs> start over but you see all my friends we used to you know go to all these industry junkets and um oh yeah you know, I think a lot of my friends are very extroverted. Yeah, I, I tend to see it. You know, it's actually, I tend to see the extremes in our industry. I really do. I see, I see both ends. Um, I've been kind of hanging on to some of the things you said. Like, in the beginning, I'm like, ooh, whiplash. Like, that might be a great title for the episode. And now I'm kind of thinking more like love story. You know, either way, it's, uh, they evoke so much emotion. Absolutely. Because, no, it is whiplash from, you know, being in a love story and then being in um um a ghost story like a, a scary story do you know what i'm saying so i think yeah i don't know how much time we have but there's this whole duality of existing in alternate realities do you know what i mean so there's i um, totally do i totally do and this gets into territory that I have no idea how to intelligently discuss, but, you know, my son's obsessed with alternate realities. He watches Flash and, you know, this guy can run at the speed of light. And when he, he does that, he runs faster than the speed of light. He can change the time, space-time continuum. And this relates to, I know, you're like looking at me like I'm no. bonkers. <laughs> I'm equally fascinated. So there you go. Oh, then 
my husband finds this um, uh, quantum physics YouTube seminar and all these like incredibly hyper uh, intellectual, like hyper educated people are talking about quantum physics and how that is a theory that they're testing in terms of how um, alternate realities can actually happen in this whole theory called Schrodinger, Schrodinger's cat, where quantum energy enters this box somehow. And this, this poor cat is alive in one version and not alive in the, in the other version. So these things can happen simultaneously. I don't know what this means. I don't know how they got to that conclusion. I don't understand quantum physics, but these guys seem legitimate and like really like a thousand <laughs> times smarter than me. And what I took away from that was like, yes, that is the whiplash that, I mean, I, I'm like applying it to my own Libraness because right. I always feel like I'm, 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 you know, if the scales are going up and down, I'm like riding those scales like violently up and down, getting the whiplash, feeling the, the love and the hate and all that stuff. I don't know, maybe there's a, a, a nice way to, to tie that up with a bow because, you know, at the end of um, Jojo Rabbit, which is one of my favorite movies, there's this poem by Rilke and it goes something like, you know, let everything happen to you, beauty and terror, uh, nothing is permanent. So mm. it, it, there's a longer, there's a longer um, version of this, which is about, you know, coming into existence and just remembering what a gift it is to be alive that's um that's amazing i i will watch jojo rabbit i don't know it but i will watch it uh that's a pretty strong statement beauty and terror nothing is permanent experience everything so beautiful it really helped me yeah i can imagine just that statement this is there here, here's a question i have for you and this is kind of a weird question this is a question about questions but what questions do you have that you want answered? Like, what is it? And it can be anywhere, you know, it could be something very simple, uh, something professional, something personal, whatever. What questions do you wish you had the answers to right now? Oh my God. So I'm, I think I am re ready for that question because I've been thinking about the rules of the game so in school, somebody told me, a professor uh, was kind of like amused at my intolerance of classical architecture. I was like, I'm a modernist. Excuse me, I'm not going to design this nonsense. It's too, it's whatever, frivolous. And I was being such a, an a-hole. Um, he goes, well, you got to learn the rules to break the rules. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> That's, that sounds a lot better now. <laughs> <laughs> this, uh, yeah, I was like, okay, I'll do it. Um, <laughs> and um, I always loved that, but it just never worked. It doesn't work out all the time. If you want to, <laughs> if you want to really do something with that, with that um, aphorism or whatever that qualifies as, um, I've been saying this instead. I want to learn the rules, what they really are, not to break the rules, but to change the game. So what I'm learning as I get, you know, older is that there are rules that people need to know. I'm trying to arm my kids. I mean, this is like a selfish thing. I'm trying to arm my kids with knowledge that they're going to be able to use 
when they go out into the world, I think it's really important to know what the game actually is. Like, what does success mm. really mean? What are we trying to do? Why? Why are we trying to build and build and expand and grow just automatically? So there's, there's a whole, I think the second half of my career is going to be exploring how to change the game. I, I want like to know that. what the real rules are. <laughs> wow. What a great question. I like that. You don't, it's not, it's not about knowing the rules to break the rules. When you say change the game, we can go, we can go deep into game. Just that word, you know, change the game. I don't know how literal you're, you're going, or if you just kind of like, you know, change the game is kind of like a phrase that you can use. That means like, you know, change the narrative or, or something like that. But the game is like, uh, you know, people do, do you win a game? Right. Uh, is a game something that you win or? Well, absolutely. Or... I mean, it has multiple layers. So if you look at it, people are actually thinking of this as a, a win-lose situation. They're trying to pick winners and losers. And if you fight that, that's fine. You can reject that. But I'm, I'm now like, well, I don't want that outcome. I don't want what this has been doing for us. Um, for centuries and eons in the past. So how do we understand this, this game where people are, are striving to be victorious, which is not going to help anybody but them? Um, so yeah, on so many levels, on an on a intimate kind of personal level to you know, institutional and governmental, I want to understand what's the end game? Like, do they really want to solve the climate crisis? You know, these big corporations? I don't know about that. <laughs> It doesn't seem like it. So right. instead of bashing our heads against a brick wall, there's got to be a better way to get to something that is sustainable, that you know, gives us a living planet for our kids and generations after. I think that's a great example of, of that, understanding what can change there. You know, um, this was really, this was really a, a heavy, deep, kind of conversation I, I really hope people like when they put those earbuds in it's almost like you got to take a seat <laughs> you got to take a seat and then just like just do this you know I know you can't do the dishes you know or play uno while you got this in you know um maybe that's okay I, think, I don't know no I think you're you know you're you're doing what you did the first time which I really appreciate and and I think you're helping people you're helping me but you know this is this isn't about everybody I just happen to be the lucky one having the, the full conversation with you but you're helping people kind of understand the world around them understand like their own thought process you know and and you do that really well I I think we did that here I want to know if is there is there something that you had hoped to share when, when we got together. Cause I know I, I didn't give you a lot of notice. I, I wanted to jump on and kind of reflect back on our 360 days since we've last spoke, uh, on the podcast. And, uh, is there, is there anything that came to mind though, that you thought, Oh, you know, I'd really like to put this out there. I, I think that, um, well, first of all, I was just really comfortable because I knew that you'd be so easy to talk to I think I shared most everything but um what I do I think I want to share is that this this past year has been humbling that Rilke poem really applies I mean everything did happen 
this whole notion of um and now people are talking about some really good conversation topics like you know taking away the stigma about failure and i think that's really important but it's just one step in the in the final cycle because we've done a lot of failing this past year <laughs> you know on so many different fronts but now it's the time to remember that that's not the goal right mm. we can't stop there and then how do we pick ourselves back up how do we help others who are not used to doing that pick themselves back up one of the things i love about angie is that she goes deep the simple headlines don't satisfy her she wants to ask why she seeks to understand it's a level of curiosity that's just so important in our personal growth and to the profession of design, but that's not enough. Angie has the courage to say what needs to be said and to explore ideas out loud for us to hear. It's courage and curiosity that we hope this podcast can inspire inside of you. If you followed along with me over the last year, well, happy one year anniversary to us both. And thank you for hanging out with me. I'm doing this because I believe there's so many stories and perspectives that we can all grow from. And I'm so honored to know there are others out there like you that feel the same. If you enjoyed today's episode, we would really appreciate a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. To discover more design stories, visit us at OFS.com backslash imagine a place. From OFS, I'm Doug Shapiro, and you've been listening to Imagine a Place.